This is the Statman Sports Podcast, where we keep topics in context. This is your host, Steve Duffus, who is still wondering why the Seahawks didn't run the ball. Ah, it's a beautiful day to talk sports, baby. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Statman Sports Podcast. As usual, this is your host, Steve Duffus. You guys already know what's on the menu this week. Obviously, if you stayed in this weekend, you've been watching the NFL playoffs. What else would you be doing? So, of course, we're going to break down those games, the Seattle-Dallas game, the double-doink game in Chicago. Nick Foles, does he really have the magic? So, that's one of the few things we're going to be talking about, obviously, with all the other wildcard games. And, of course... I'm not just going to talk about the NFL. I also want to talk about Tim Thibodeau, the Minnesota Timberwolves. How do they move forward? So you're going to get some takes of football, some takes of basketball, guys. So you know, if you're ready to listen to this episode, just tune in. If you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in. Of course, for the listeners I've been there, has been there from day one. I just want to thank you so much for all your support. But before uh, we begin this episode today, guys, um, I want to take this time to promote something for my friend Antonietta Collins if you guys remember her ESPN Sports Center now she uh she came on my podcast for episode number seven where I interviewed her so um it's only fitting for me to uh just promote this for her um in 2019 obviously this year she's going to do a marathon at uh, in Miami and all the proceeds will be going to uh striking out for poverty two years ago as Antonietta said on her episode on the episode with me episode seven uh, she went to the Dominican Republic and um, she visited communities to write a story about, uh, you know, obviously, the poverty there. So, obviously, you can find that article online. But if you want to donate to help that cause, you can go to pledgeit.org uh, forward slash A-T-O-N-I-E-T-T-A Collins. So, pretty much Antonieta Collins, but just A-T. So you can go pledgeit.org and you can donate for that. That would be wonderful. That will help her out and her producer. So that would be great, guys. Thank you very much. And with no further ado, man, let's just get right into it and break down these wildcard games, baby. Huh? What are you talking about, man? Woo! What? <laughs> Bro, what are you talking about, man? So let's begin talking about the first game that was played over the wildcard weekend between the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. Man, if you watched that game, and I'm sure you guys did, you <laughs> if you didn't know any better, you would think that the Houston Texans did not even belong in the playoffs. And you would wonder, well, what are they even doing on the same field as the Indianapolis Colts? But what? I'll tell you the key to this, guys. The Indianapolis Colts pretty much won this game before the game even started. Why? Because you can tell that their offensive and defensive schemes were well put together. Even before that, let me break this down to you. The Indianapolis Colts came into the playoffs as number one in point differential as of week 13. Number one in defense. Number one in total wins. Okay? That's what the Colts were working with coming into Houston. Of course, you would think the home team will have home field advantage. And let's not kid ourselves. The Houston Texans have been on a roll the entire season. Deshaun Watson, man, I saw this crazy stat, and I'm sure you guys saw it as well if you're roaming around social media, that Deshaun Watson hasn't lost a, a double-digit game since, like, high school or something crazy like that. Man, that's, that's crazy. And the Colts just shattered the, the Texans. 
You saw what the final score was. But the Colts dominated that game from the beginning to the end. The Texans had one particular stat going for them as well. The Texans was one of three teams, one of one of only three teams the entire season that hasn't allowed a 100-yard rusher. And Marlon Mack had a field day with them. I think he had between 24 to 28 carries for 148 yards. So he just obliterated that Texans defense. On paper, the defense for the Texans look amazing. They have J.J. Watt, uh, Clowney. Um, they have uh, Cushing running around. I don't even remember if he was playing because I haven't watched much of the Texans this season. But defensively, they were sound. And, of course, on offense, they had Deshaun Jackson running running the table here in the regular season. They had DeAndre Hopkins just snatching balls everywhere. But, again, like they always say in any sport, the playoffs is a completely different ball game and the Houston Texans were were just not ready for this game and Andrew Luck as I told you guys in my preview I believe that Andrew Luck would have to do everything for the Colts to win and this game he had a lot of help from everywhere from his defense from Marlon back obviously his running back so it wasn't like his best game that Andrew Luck played. And you can tell in Bosco, it wasn't one of his best games he played in the playoffs or any regular season game for that matter. But he did enough for the Colts to win that game. And obviously, that's that's something that you need. You need balance. That's pretty much what that was if you watch that game. It was a well-balanced game by the Colts. They had a proper game plan. They executed their game plan, and they came out victorious. And obviously, the box score tells that. Now, that that makes me segue into the another game. The game, the key game of the weekend, I would say, for most people. The Seattle Seahawks and the Dallas Cowboys. I made the prediction that the Seahawks would actually go into Dallas and win this game. But then again, I made that assumption based on Pete Carroll allowing Russell Wilson to be Russell Wilson. But he was not. It seems like Russell Wilson was on on a chain man like he had chains on his leg that handcuffed him he couldn't do anything but what was the key to this game the key to this game for Dallas winning this game was that Ezekiel Elias was the primary focus of the Dallas offense and this is something that not myself I've been saying but many people who are you know who are commentators as well who have their own podcast they keep beating that drum if Dallas ought to win Ezekiel Elliott has to be the primary focus of the offense. And if you look at that complete box score, if you watch the game, it's as if you're playing somebody better than you on Madden and you know you probably can't beat them. So what you got to do is you have the better running back. You have the team with the better running back, so you just run the ball. Just keep running the ball, keep running the ball, and eventually the team is going to get tired. And that's what Dallas did. You know, the final box score, Dak Prescott, 226 yards of rushing touchdown. He had an interception. But the main key here, like I mentioned multiple times, Ezekiel Elliott, he had 169 yards. Amari Cooper had seven receptions for 106 yards. Man, I give props where props is due. Um, I've never been an advocate for for Dak Prescott because I believe he doesn't have the greatest arm in the league. Obviously, he doesn't throw the ball deep. I don't know if it's Dak Prescott per se, but I think with Dallas's offense, they don't throw the ball deep so many times, so I didn't expect them to do what they did to the Seattle defense. But I have to give credit to both teams. They play very well. They play very well in the defensive end. Uh, there wasn't up to par like how they played in the regular season, but again, in the playoff, things are different. Schemes are different. Uh, game plans are different. Situations are different. But uh, I think both teams played 
under what they could have played defensively. Of course, I think Dallas had a slight edge because they were playing at home, so they were playing behind the cross momentum. But uh, the main key to this game, even though everything was going not well for the Seahawks, even though Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll was being out coached by Jason Garrett, let's just let that sink in for a minute. Pete Carroll, veteran, veteran coach. He won a Super Bowl. He beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Okay. He, he, he was literally one running play, one Marshall Lane running play away to win back-to-back Super Bowls, okay? And he got outcoached by Jason Garrett, who has won, what, two playoffs games? Two wildcard playoff games? I, I, I didn't quite understand what specifically was their game plan. At the beginning, you would see they would run the ball a lot, but they only had a total of 70 yards, a total of 70 yards the entire game. They came into the playoffs being the number one rushing team in the NFL. And I believe they thought that was going to work this game. And I thought so too. But if that wasn't working, why didn't you let Russell Wilson get loose? They let him go loose, but it was a little too late. This is an interesting stat for me before I get into my next point with this game. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys are 25-1 when Dak Prescott doesn't throw an interception. That game, Dak Prescott threw an interception and still won. You know what that tells me? The defense showed up. The running game showed up. And they made plays in key moments. And that's the key moment I want to talk about. Fourth quarter, I think it was five or six minutes left. It was third and 14. And I think Dak Prescott made the play so far of his career. I don't know what the Seahawks were thinking. They were right at the goal line. They have 14 yards to get a first down. And the Seahawks dropped back. If it was up to me, I would send two blitzers. Send it right up the middle. You do not give Dak Prescott that chance. But... But to give him props, Dak Prescott got that first down, eventually got a touchdown that, that ultimately sealed the game for the Dallas Cowboys. And they're now moving on to face the Los Angeles Rams. And that's going to be one of those games that is going to go down to the wire as well because the L.A. Rams defense is non-existent at the moment. But that's something we'll get into a little later. And, of course, we want to go ahead and talk about the Chargers and the Baltimore Ravens. Everyone has been talking about Lamar Jackson. Should have should he have been benched for Joe Flacco? Everybody's talking about Phillip Rivers. He didn't have one of the greatest games in the playoffs. But when it comes to playoff time, like I say multiple times, it doesn't matter the sport. One man cannot do everything. But the LA Chargers, they show poise. They got a couple field goals. They got touchdowns. They got stops when they had to. Of course, some controversial plays, in my opinion, helped them out as well. But... The key talk for this game was Lamar Jackson, rookie quarterback, 21 years old. What could he do? What didn't he do for that matter? Everyone was talking about, we should have benched him to put in Joe Flacco. Up to the fourth quarter, interesting stat. Up to the fourth quarter, Lamar Jackson only had 40 yards passing. 40 yards passing. Why? Because the Ravens were just being hard-headed and they were just trying to run the ball. Just trying to run the ball and it just was not working. Why wasn't it working? If you paid attention to the game, you noticed that the Chargers game plan, just like the Colts, they came in with a specific plan. The Chargers at all times had two safeties in the box. The Ravens offense was so successful during the regular season, especially the the last seven weeks of the season, is because a lot of coaches thought about this conventional. If you want to stop a running running, uh, quarterback, you need to have linebackers in there that will spy him, keep up with him. But a lot of people tend to forget 
that a, a, a linebacker usually can't keep up with a running back. And so the Chargers came with the game plan to slow that down. Ultimately, what they did, they kept the two safeties, like I said, in the box, and those safeties were able to cover end-to-end and keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket. And, of course, the box score says much. He got sacked seven times. Seven times. Ravens didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter when it was a little too late. And even so, the Ravens had a chance to win that game, and obviously Lamar Jackson fumbled. The game ended for the Ravens in that fourth quarter. It's a learning curve. It's a learning experience. But it also makes you think, what is it about Joe Flacco? What is he going to do now? I don't know, man. But the Ravens management made it very clear. It seems as if Lamar Jackson is the future going forward. So, yeah, good luck to Joe Flacco. But speaking of quarterback controversies, man, <laughs> it it seems like every playoff now, Nick Foles creates one with Carson Wentz, the Chicago Bears, and the Philadelphia Eagles. I know, guys. I've I've been very wrong about this game along with a lot of people. A lot of us thought that the Chicago Bears would make quick work of the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. But then I forgot that Nick Foles was the Eagles quarterback. If you saw the game, it, you saw that it was a back and forth. Points were coming at a premium. Special teams made plays. Uh, defense was making plays. It, it, was, it was a rough and tough game. But it ultimately came down. <laughs> to the kicker, man. It just made me think about it. Before I get into that, just think about this. How many Super Bowls do you guys think Tom Brady would have won if Adam Venetieri wasn't his kicker? Huh? Just think about that. You can do everything during the entire game perfectly. You can go down to the perfect drive, get your kicker in field goal position, where he still has to make the kick. It makes you realize how much pressure it comes down to. Yes, we know they get paid for this, but they're still human. When pressure is on you, when pressure is on you, if you're not ready, <laughs> you will end up like Cody Parker. You will end up like that double doink off the crossbar. But what was the key to this game? Simple. Nick Foles' calmness under pressure. Even Doug Peterson, Doug, uh, Doug Peterson said the same. Coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's... It's amazing and scary how calm he is under pressure. Eagles went for it two times on fourth down, near the goal line, got touchdowns. I don't think anybody else would have got that unless it was Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Andrew Luck. But, man, it's just the calmness that Nick Foles shows. And, of course, in the playoff game, when you have such a veteran who shows the poise, who shows you the confidence, who, who looks at the other team and says, yes, guys, we can do this. And I think that's ultimately why the Philadelphia Eagles won. We can we can sit here and talk about we can give anybody else the credit. We can give the Eagles defense credit. We can give special teams credit. We can say yes, they block, they block uh, the field goals, they block punts. We can say whatever we want, whatever we want. But when it comes to winning, I ultimately believe it comes down to simplicity and teams understanding, players understanding. What needs to be done in a particular moment? And Nick Foles, I believe, knows. He He's playing with house money. And he's calm about it. He's like, yo, man, if I fail, Carson Wentz is still there. But I don't think Nick Foles is so worried about that. He already delivered for them last year. He won a Super Bowl. He beat arguably the greatest quarterback ever. So what does he have to worry about? And you can tell that calmness, like I went, mentioned before, that calmness, you can see that in the pocket, the poise he had. 
He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And the Philadelphia Eagles are now moving on. But now, where does Chicago stand? I know what the Bears need to do. They need to start by finding a replacement for Cody Parkey because I believe yeah, kicking ultimately matters more than what people think in the NFL, man. Yeah, like I said earlier, again, and I'll repeat it one more time, how many Super Bowls would Tom Brady have if Adam Vinatieri was not his kicker? He is arguably the clutchest kicker in NFL history, man. In these moments, you need this, man. Look at this. The Chicago Bears played an entire season. They had one of the best records in the NFL, and it came down to a field goal, and the kicker just wasn't ready. He hit the upright twice. I think I didn't quite see what the stat was for Cody Parkey, but at that point, before he missed that field goal at that game on Sunday night, he was like 0 for 10 for plus 40-yard field goals or something like that. Listen, man, (laughs) if you can't convert these things in the playoffs which is more than likely where most of your field goals will come from, within the 35 and 40-yard range. You, you can't win games when it comes down to it. And I think the Chicago Bears need to start by doing that. Since they let Robbie Gold go, I think their kicking game has been inconsistent at best. And that's where I think the Chicago Bears need to start. They need to open up, expand their their uh, their offensive scheme. They need to go out there and get better receivers as well if they want to move forward and, and contend for a Super Bowl. Of course, everyone thought, you know, based on the record, they'll be Super Bowl contenders. But, hey, one side of the ball alone don't win you the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's a rare occurrence. That's why the 1985 Chicago Bears are are in, you can put them in their own team Hall of Fame. Because they were that great. You can't just rely on your defense to win, man. Your offense also have to produce. So they have to look, look uh, for a new kicker, in my opinion. Look. Shout out to Cody Parkey. He was out there. He handled this like a true professional. But also for you trolls, if you really think you can do his job, then you will also be in the NFL. I saw all these tweets. I saw all these comments about he needs to go kill himself. He needs to go hang himself. He lost him a game. Hey, ultimately, it's just a game of football. If you were that good at it, you will have his job. So I just need y'all to quit that. But, man, it was a great NFL wildcard weekend. Of course, during the week, we'll also preview it again with a special edition preview for the divisional round. If you if you want to know what the matchups are, it will be the Indianapolis Colts against the Kansas City Chiefs. And it will be the San Diego Chargers versus the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys at the, uh, the Rams, followed by the Philadelphia Eagles at the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to have divisional rounds that are going to be packed. Next week, man. So you can I cannot wait for that, man. I cannot wait for that. But once again, guys, thank you for listening to this breakdown of the NFL Wildcard Weekend. And we want to transition now to the topic that, to me, is something that we need to talk about. Tom Thibodeau and the Minnesota Timberwolves. How do they move forward in the next segment? That don't make any sense. I'm a so we move on from the NFL wildcard weekend to some NBA news. If you was not sure about what's going on in the NBA, a lot of basketball games have been going on, a lot of teams moving up the standings, but one interesting one interesting uh, breaking news. The Minnesota Timberwolves, probably some of you saw this news already. The Minnesota Timberwolves fired their basketball operations president and head coach, Tom Thibodeau. Most of you who know Tom Thibodeau, he has a... a a quite excellent track record, but he also has some negativity that comes along with him. But the question for me is, and the question I want to talk about and answer today, where do the Minnesota Timberwolves go after firing him? 
What did they do? And it's quite strange how the firing happened. After the Minnesota Timberwolves put a beat down on the Los Angeles Lakers minus uh, Brandon Ingram, minus LeBron James, it was a 20-point win, a good win for the Timberwolves. He was immediately fired. It's quite odd. A lot of people didn't understand. If it was up to me, he would have been fired two years ago because he was been overdue. Why? Because that's a negative track record that I talk about. Tom Thibodeau has a uh, record of playing his players and especially his star players too many minutes. I don't know why his philosophy why. I don't know the reasoning behind it, but uh, a lot of players have complained about the minutes that they play. It's Most of their players play about 40 plus minutes. That will weigh you down over your NBA career, but Tom Thibodeau did it anyway. But the key is, what did the Minnesota Timberwolves do? First of all, I'll say this. My good friend, Carl Anthony Towns, shout out to Piscataway, New Jersey. He must be featured more in this offense for the Minnesota Timberwolves, okay? They just paid his man a $190 million extension for five years, okay? So he has his money. So what is he really playing for? They need to make it the primary focus of the offense. You give a person that much money, he has to be featured. What the Timberwolves need to do is take a book out of the New Orleans uh, the New Orleans Pelicans playbook. Look at how they utilize Anthony Davis. He's their primary focus. Everything goes through him. And I think that's what they need to do. Matter of fact, let me give you a statistic. Per basketball reference, Anthony Davis in his first two seasons has been assisted on 72% of his of his field goals in comparison to 68% for Carl Anthony Towns. That just means Carl Anthony Towns doesn't need as much help as Anthony Davis, believe it or not, to produce not to say that Anthony Davis is not a great player if he doesn't get some help. That's not it's, that's not what I'm implying. What I'm saying with that small sample, once you get Carl Anthony Towns the ball, he produces. <clears throat> Excuse me. He produces. And that's something that the Minnesota Timberwolves need to take in consideration. We're in an era now of analytics. Use all the numbers to your disposal. Use it well so you can produce the best team you can for your franchise. That's my first thing I think the Timberwolves need to do moving forward. What's the next thing they need to do? They need to look at Andrew Wiggins' potential fading. He's barely 24 years old. He'll be 24 in February. And Andrew Wiggins seems to be fading already like an old veteran. He's averaging, he's, he's averaging what, 43% shooting from, from the field? That's his lowest of his career from, from a two-point field goal range? That's absolutely terrible. He's averaging the fewest points for his career at 17 points a game right now since his rookie season. So, after firing Tom Thibodeau and everything that's been going on in Minnesota, you have to think about, is Andrew Wiggins really, is he really, really, really the answer moving forward? Even though his age tends to say, yes, he should be part of the core for the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's something that they need to consider. Andrew Wiggins is still going to be a frustrating player. Look, if at this point in his career he hasn't shown any type of major improvement in his uh, potential mid-range game, in his three-point shooting game, he's shooting, matter of fact, he's shooting the three-point ball more than he has his entire career as the highest rate, and he's not producing as much. So do the Minnesota Timberwolves need to consider trading him, getting some draft picks, moving on from him? That's that's ultimately the key there. What what? What does Minnesota need to do? But the but the other thing for me, right? And I want you guys to think about this. All you basketball heads out there. Basketball is a simple game. You need to stop the other team from scoring points. And you need to put, put the ball in the basket, right? It's that simple. And defensively, it's where Minnesota, I think, 
need to make the biggest improvement. And it's quite interesting and quite ironic because Tom Thibodeau, as most of you know, Tom Thibodeau was, to me, in my estimation, a great defensive coach. For his Chicago years, during his glory years, the Chicago Bulls were top five in defense and twice top the top defensive team in the NBA. That's how great of a defensive coach Tom Thibodeau was. But you know what the issue was? He couldn't translate that defense into this Minnesota Timberwolves and his new three-point shooting NBA. That was the problem. He just couldn't translate that over. And if Minnesota is going to win games, if Minnesota want to contend in the playoffs, ultimately they want to win the championship, just like they say, it's not a cliche. Defense wins championships. And Minnesota need to make that change. They need to make it rather sooner than later. Right now, the record is not all that great. They're 19 and 21. The season is still young. They have time to make a change. But ultimately, that is what they need to do moving forward. Aside from making Carl Anthony Towns the primary focus of the offense, looking for some draft pick for Andrew Wiggins, they also need to focus on their defense. And that's how I think the Minnesota Timberwolves need to do moving forward. If they take, if they, if if somebody from Minnesota is actually listening to my podcast, anybody in their management, I think those three keys are the best things for you to start with moving forward if you want to improve this franchise. I don't know who they're going to replace Tom Thibodeau with, but whoever they replace him with is going to have a tall task of getting these young men in Minnesota to buy into a system where they're going to win championships. It's not. It's not all about your accolades. It's not all about your money, it's all about starting with the simple things. Anything you do in life, in any sport that you play, simplicity matters. You need to understand basics. And right now, Minnesota, all those things are lost. If they start playing defense, if they start using their best player as the main focus of their offense, then they can have something to look forward to. And maybe then they'll start winning again. Ah, that's the end of episode number 17. Like I say every week, guys, I enjoy doing this so much for myself, but more so for you guys because you guys support me and show all the love. Man, thank you once again, guys. But before I let you go, there's a few things I need to mention to you. First of all, remember that we have a website at statmanpodcast.com where you can go back and read transcripts of previous episodes and you can see images and statistics. You can always go there, show your love and support. Um, also remember there's a store where you can actually buy your t-shirts to support the show you know you can flaunt them around when you go to the beach when you're at home working out it'll be amazing you can also go follow us if you haven't already on our instagram page and facebook page you know what the handles are statman sports podcast you can follow follow me personally on my personal uh page and on twitter that's duffus boy you can follow me there and you can see my ridiculous, crazy tweets that I tweet during the week, guys. So once again, if you're looking for something to look at tonight, Tuesday, there's a bunch of games going on in the NBA. Los Angeles Lakers at Dallas Mavericks. San Antonio Spurs at Detroit Pistons. Boston Celtics against the Brooklyn Nets. The Houston uh, Houston Rockets versus the Denver Nuggets. which should be an actual feature. Good game. We want to see what James Harden is going to do after he destroyed the Golden State Warriors a couple nights ago. So, you know, if you're looking for something to do, at night tonight then that's that's where you need to be watching some nba that's all for today guys and i look forward to uh listening to your comments and your reviews all over social media and also next week we're going to have a great great guest and you don't want to miss it during the week we'll be advertising this all right so stay tuned to that but for right now once again stat man signing out
Thanks for listening to the Statman Sports Podcast. See you next time.